Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all. You all look lovely. Uh, guys, I've got a couple things to share before we get into the message. Just a couple little uh, details. First of all, if you're in our core team, if you're one of our members, just keep an eye out this week. I've got a uh, video in an email coming to you with just some updates, some exciting stuff that's coming, uh, as well as like details about our next gathering. And uh, I'm very excited to tell you about this, give you a little sneak peek about how we are going to be doing weekend of service this year in the fall. I'm really pumped, so keep your eyes open for that email. It's on the way. Um, the other thing I want to tell you about, a, a couple weeks ago, I went to Istanbul on a whim, uh, as one does, and I, uh, I, I went on this trip to kind of, I don't know, nourish my soul a little bit. I had some flight credit with Delta. It's a long story, but basically I went to Istanbul, and one of the reasons that I went there was to be able to walk through the ruins of Ephesus. And that's what I did. I went down and I spent a, a bunch of time just hanging out in the ruins of Ephesus where the Apostle Paul was, where the Apostle John was, and all kinds of stuff. And I got to tell you, it was so fun and so cool for me as, as, you know, the Bible nerd that I am. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And I was doing that while also reading a bunch of books about, about Ephesus, about the fall of the Byzantine Empire, like all kinds of cool stuff. And I'm now just loaded for bear with a whole bunch of information that is helping me understand the New Testament better than ever before. And here's what I thought. I would love to share some of that information with those of you who would find that interesting. And so here's what I'm going to do. On Wednesday, this week, I'm doing a one-off class. I'm calling it a class, uh, Bring Your Own Bible class, all about Ephesus and the role that it played in the early church and how, it, how what I've been learning really helps to enhance some of the things that we read in the New Testament. And I know it's maybe like an old school church kind of cliche thing for the pastor to go on a trip and then come back with a slideshow. I will show some pictures, but I'm also going to show like maps and diagrams of buildings and things like that. And I'm just going to download what I've learned about Ephesus. I think it'll be really, really uh, cool. Now, I, I was a little bit unclear about this last service. This will be a live class over in what used to be called the Student Ministries West Room. The details are on the website, gracechurch.us slash BYOB. It will be live, and I, a lot of people have asked. I'm going to do my best to record it. No guarantees on the quality of that recording, but I'm going to try to get that for those of you who are not able to make it but are actually interested in hearing me just blather on and on about some very, very cool nerdy things. So uh, yeah, that is coming up on Wednesday. If you're interested, I hope you'll join me and let's, uh, let's read the Bible together. So, all right, speaking of the Bible, let me pray for us and then we're going to get into our message. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity for all of us to come together and listen to you speak. Uh, I pray, Father, as we listen directly to the words of Jesus today, that you would prepare our hearts for what we are going to hear. Uh, I pray that as I speak, that I would just disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. And most of all, I pray that, that we would all have ears to hear what it is that you would want us to hear today. Let us leave this time together changed because of what you have said. So Father, guide us, speak to us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is the third week of our sermon series that we've called How to Pray. And now I'm realizing a little belatedly that maybe the, the words how to pray are a little bit misleading because it may seem like when I say how to pray that we're going to be kind of giving you some sort of comprehensive 
understanding of all the different types of prayer or, or that we're going to get into all the details of, of, you know, the theological purpose of prayer. And it, that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is we are looking at a very specific section of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount where he talks about prayer. And we're looking at what he had to say about how to pray. Now, the, the, the situation at the time that Jesus was speaking into, there were a lot of uh, bad habits that the people of Israel were developing in their prayers. For example, uh, people would prefer to pray out on a street corner really loudly so that everybody could see how, how holy and godly they are. Like, that was a bad habit. Uh, Jesus spoke to that. Jesus also spoke to the bad habit of people who wanted to pray by thinking that it was some kind of a code that they would uh, you know, repeat words over and over and over again to try to force God's hand to give them what they wanted. That was a bad habit. And Jesus speaks to these bad habits and basically says, look, look, prayer is just between you and God. It's not a public spectacle. It's between you and your Father. And there's no need, by the way, to babble on and on or repeat yourself a bunch because your Father already knows what you need. So just speak plainly. Speak from your heart. That's what he taught. That's what Jesus was teaching. Now, our world looks a lot different than ancient Israel. I, when was the last time you prayed publicly on a street corner, right? That's not something that we really do very often. And yet it isn't that much of a stretch to understand how some of the same things that Jesus is teaching them it matters in our life as well. Because yeah, there are times when, when we're praying publicly, maybe we're in a small group or something, and all we're thinking about is what other people think about us, right? Jesus' teachings are just as relevant to us in that setting. Also, I know some of us, maybe if we're honest, we kind of treat prayer like it's some kind of code or transaction. Like if we just get the words right, then maybe God will give us what we want. But again, Jesus is saying, that's not how to pray. So that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. We are praying for an audience of one, and our Father wants us to keep it real. That's the bottom line. So here's what we're going to do today as we continue going through this, this passage of Scripture. Uh, if the last two weeks were about breaking bad habits in prayer, then I think the next two weeks are going to be about forming some good ones, forming some good habits. We're going to look at what is often called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. So grab a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, which will be page uh, 803 in the House Bibles. Now, uh, while you're turning there, I just want to point this out. If you haven't seen it, we have in our lobby the Lord's Prayer written out in a bunch of different languages. We've got, I think, there's uh, Arabic and Spanish and Russian and Ukrainian, a bunch of different languages out in the lobby. And most of us don't read most of those languages, but I think what it stands for is really cool because it's a reminder that this is a prayer that we are about to read. This is a prayer that is prayed by Christ followers all around the world and all throughout history. In a way, it's kind of like communion because it's something that we all share, which I think is really cool. So as you're leaving today, maybe take a look around and just kind of contemplate the fact that this is a prayer that ties us all together. All right, okay, so let's read this prayer and uh, see what Jesus has to say. Verse 9, Jesus says, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Okay, and that's it. Jesus 
teaches us how to pray. That's how he says that we should pray. Now, let's start with this. There are a couple of schools of thought as to what Jesus meant when he said, pray like this. There are some who take him at his word. They take it literally, and they believe that he's saying, pray exactly like this. In other words, pray these words, that that's what he's saying. Um, And in a lot of the global church, that's exactly what people do. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, has become part of the the liturgy, part of what what they do together. Some churches will actually pray this aloud together every single weekend. It's a part of their liturgy. So there are some that think this is meant to be an exact prayer to pray. And then there's others, others in the other school of thought who would say, no, I think Jesus meant this more as a model of prayer, that that he, this is a model of how to pray. He's introducing some some key ideas or concepts that we can, that we can base our own prayers off of, even though they may be different words. So which is it? Is it an exact prayer? Is it a model of prayer? Which one? Well, I think the answer is both. I think it's both. I think this prayer can be very, very effective and useful as an exact prayer to pray. For example, let's say you're going through a a dry spell in your faith, and you're having a bit of a hard time even knowing what to pray or connecting with God at all. Well, just pray these words. Like, pray this. You're not going to go wrong. I mean, these are—this is a prayer directly from the mouth of Jesus himself, right? So, So pray this, and maybe— Maybe as you do, as you contemplate these words, as you pray these words, something will happen inside of you. Maybe, maybe this will be how God speaks to you and enlivens your soul a little bit when it comes to your, to your faith. Pray these exact words. But that's not the only way that this prayer can serve us. It can also be, as I said, a model. And I think there's a lot of value in paying attention to, to what, what these verses have to say about a, our posture. What's our posture when we, when we pray? How do we approach the God of the universe? And also, what kinds of things do we ask God for? And what does that look like? This prayer can be a model to guide us in all of our prayers. So let's dig into it. Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the first two verses of this prayer, and then next week, Marin is going to take us through the last three. So over these two weeks, we're going to look at just this tiny little prayer. So what does Jesus teach us in this prayer about how to pray? What is the model uh, that we are supposed to build off of? Well, the prayer begins like this. These are the verses we'll look at today. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we're going to look at today. Now, I want to start with a pretty obvious observation. At least it's obvious to me as as I read that. I've already mentioned this, but we often think about prayer as asking God for stuff, right? That's a pretty normal thing to consider. When we are praying, we're asking God to to give us things or do things for us. But look at what we just read. What do we see here? Every single word of this beginning of the prayer is focused on Him, right? It's focused on Him, not on us. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. I think Jesus is starting us off here with a really important reminder that when we pray at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about me. And and here's what I mean by that. Our prayers, when we are coming before God, we are praying to a God who is far beyond us. He's the creator of the universe. He is the one, as this prayer says, who is holy, 
holy. Now this word holy, it's a very spiritual sounding word. It really just means one thing. It means set apart, set apart. That's what holy means. Uh, Holy means uh, different, other, outside uh, of, of the norm. So by praying that this, saying, God, may your name be kept holy, what we are acknowledging right out of the gate is that God is not like anything else around us. We're saying, no, he is not like you. He's not like me. He's not like anything in this created world. He is holy. And for the original hearers of this prayer, Jesus' followers, what they would have understood as well, this to mean that it would have meant for them that God is also holy, set apart from all the other gods of the ancient world. All the gods that people would worship, God is above them, beyond them, set apart from them. He is holy. So we're saying, may your name, which is shorthand for your reputation, your identity, may you remain holy. Would you remain set apart? So that's the the first little clue I think is important here. It's not about me. When we pray, it's not about me. It's about God, our holy, set-apart God. He's out there. He's different. He's beyond. And yet, and yet, what do we call him? What's the first thing out of our mouth in this prayer? Our Father, right? We call him our Father. Our Father, that is an intimate relationship, right? A father is, if he's, if he's our father, that means we are in his family, that we are his children, right? That he loves us like a father. So, so we've got this dynamic here. The holy one, the, the one who is set apart, is also our father. The one who crafted galaxies, the one who invented time and, and gravity. I mean, life itself, this is, he's the author of life itself, and yet he, this set apart one, has chosen to make us his children. He's our father. He's chosen to be in relationship with us. So what is Jesus teaching us here about how to pray by starting his prayer in this way? Well, I think he's setting up a posture that we are to take, a posture that we are to take when we pray, or I would call this the posture of our hearts. Here's what I mean. May your name be kept holy. By saying that, that is, that is taking a posture of submission, submission of reverence. Again, it's not about me, it's about you. If we were to take that same posture physically, it would look like probably bowing with our face to the ground, right? It's submission, it's reverence. It's saying, it's saying you know, you are the holy one. By bowing down in our hearts, by, by humbling ourselves, that is the posture we take as we come before the God of the universe. And by the way, we don't really do this very often. At least I, I'll speak for myself. I don't do this very often, but maybe we should sometimes. Maybe in our prayers, that would be valuable for us to physically respond to the God that we are praying to. It's just a little aside. Okay, so that is the, the posture that we take. Jesus is teaching us to start our prayers to start our prayers by taking a humble posture before one who is far beyond us. And yet, again, don't miss this. Who are we praying to? We are praying to our Father, our Father. He loves us. He has chosen us. So I think this is what Jesus wants us to hear. This posture, this posture of submission, of bowing down in prayer before the God of the universe, this posture is not one that we take out of fear or out of guilt, or out of shame. That's not why we're bowing down. No, we are taking this posture out of love, and freedom, and gratitude. See, we're throwing ourselves on the floor because we don't deserve the love and the grace we've received from our Father, and yet we've received it. 
We've received it. It is reverence. It is submission. But it is submission out of joy. Submission out of joy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Put simply, when we pray, let's never forget who we're praying to or what he has done for us. That is the posture that we are invited to take. That's the starting point. Let's begin our prayers with a posture of grateful submission, bowing down. <clears throat> okay, let's, let's keep moving. Verse 10. May your will be, I'm sorry, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, may your kingdom come. Now, the image of the kingdom of God is a very, very important one and a very, very common one throughout Scripture. Jesus teaches about it all the time. This is one of his key points to talk about a lot is the kingdom of God, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, which we're reading right now. I think it's important for us to understand when we talk about the kingdom of God, what exactly do we mean when we say it? So I'm going to blow your mind here, and I'm going to say an idea that is just going to just shatter your preconceived notions. You ready for this? Ready to have your mind blown? In the kingdom of God, God is the king. There, that's free. Take that one. I'm going to make t-shirts about that. Thank you. Yes, amazing, right? Of course, that's obvious. That is an obvious thing to say. In the kingdom of God, God is the king. Yeah, duh, okay, right? But its implication is important. The implication of this concept is important to pay attention to. Wherever the kingdom of God is, wherever the kingdom of God is, the king gets what he wants, right? That's what it means to be a king. That's how kingdoms work. In his kingdom, God's will, God's desires are made real. That's just how it works. Now, here in this passage, it talks about heaven. Heaven, in the biblical imagination, that's God's realm. That's where God exists. That's, that's, that's his domain. And of course, if it's his domain, if this is where he is, then everything works exactly the way he wants it to. It's his kingdom, right? And in fact, Matthew, in, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus always refers to it as the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. This is where God gets what he wants because he is the king. His will is done in God's kingdom. But here's the twist, and, and this is the thing that, that I continue to just be baffled by, and yet it's true throughout Scripture. Here's the twist. God is on a mission and has been since the creation of this world. He is on a mission to do something incredible. His mission is to bring his kingdom, to bring the, the kingdom of heaven to earth, to bring his kingdom here. He is expanding his rule and his reign and his will into our realm. The borders of the kingdom of God are entering our space. But he's not doing it by just snapping his fingers. And he's not doing it by blasting away all the opposition standing in his way. No, how is he doing it? He's doing it by inviting humanity to be his co-rulers. He is establishing his kingdom on earth through you and through me, through his children. This is, by the way, this is what Jesus, the Son of God, this is what he inaugurated when he was here on earth fully human and yet fully divine, Jesus Christ opened the door for us to become the princes and the princesses of God's kingdom on this earth, his children, his representatives. 
We are co-rulers with him. And it is through our lives, through our lives, that God expands his reign and his rule on the earth. Again, it's wild. It's, it makes no sense to me. And yet it's true. That's the story of Scripture. It draws us into that narrative. When we read in, in the Bible about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, that is what the biblical authors want us to be thinking about. All right, so let's get back to this prayer then. May your kingdom come. Literally, by the way, in the Greek, it doesn't say soon. It just says may it come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just like, in other words, saying, I want what you want here on earth just the way it is in heaven where you get what you want. That's what I want to see here. Here's what I think. Just like with verse 9, the verse we looked at before, I think this is a matter of posture. Jesus is inviting us to consider how we are posturing ourselves as we pray. And yet again, yet again, I think we are submitting ourselves, humbling ourselves before the Holy One before asking him for anything, before telling our father about our problems, before making any requests, we are declaring that at the end of the day, our deepest desire is for his kingdom to be established here. It's like saying, God, look, I've got stuff I want, right? I have needs. I do. I know I, know I do. But more than anything else, I want what you want. That's all I want. I want what you want and I just want to be a part of it. May your kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven. Now, I don't think we always have this mentality when we pray. I, I don't. I don't have this mentality when we pray all the time because we get into some bad habits with our prayer, don't we? Our bad habits, if I had to put them simply, are that we tend to think of God as some kind of divine genie or, or Santa Claus who's, who's only— purpose is to give us stuff that we want. We got to pull the slot machine and hope that he gives us something. That's, that's the bad habit we get into. But praying these things, praying in this way, it helps us remember that God is not Santa Claus. No, he is the, the holy one who, who is actually the king of an inbreaking kingdom. That's what we are reminded of. The Lord's prayer, this prayer teaches us to focus first on his desires, not our own. It's a posture of humility, of submission, of bowing down that allows us to keep God's kingdom front and center and keep our Holy Father enthroned in our hearts, even in this broken world. So that's what we're praying for. God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this talk about kingdoms and, and kings, I recognize we don't have a lot of castles in our day-to-day -day lives here. It can be easy for this to kind of get a little wishy-washy in our head. What do we mean when we talk about the kingdom? What does it actually look like? How do we know what God wants? What is his will? And, and how do we know that it's happening or not, right? Those are the questions that, that might be really tricky for us. And frankly, the Lord's Prayer doesn't spell that out. It just says your kingdom come, but it doesn't explain what that is. But here's the good news. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder what this looks like because guess what? This is exactly what Jesus taught his followers over and over and over again, probably more than anything else. Even just a, a quick skim through the Gospel of Matthew will give you a lot of really, really good insights on how Jesus understands what the kingdom looks like, what our king desires. 
It's all over the place. For example, here's how Jesus put it. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. You see, our king's priorities, his desires for the earth are really, really clear. Jesus spells them out right there. And we can submit ourselves to his desires when we pray. We can bow in our hearts as we approach our father. I'll I'll use some other examples from Matthew. It's like when we pray, it's like saying, God, look, I may want fame and success. That may be what I desire, but I know that in your kingdom, those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So may your will be done, not mine. Or another example, God, I I may want you to give me power and, and wealth and heaps of wealth so I can kick back and relax in this life. That may be what I want, but I know that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So may your kingdom come, not mine. Or another example, God, in this divided time that we are living in, I may want those people, those other people on the other side who are just ruining everything, and and I, I hate them, and I can't stand them, I may want them to just burn and disappear. But I know that it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So may your will be done. When we pray, when we pray, Jesus wants us to submit ourselves to God's kingdom, not to insist on ours. And he taught us what the kingdom looks like. We know it when we see it because it looks like justice. It looks like mercy, looks like compassion and, and, and grace and humility. You know what it looks like? It looks like self-giving love. That's what Jesus taught us. And guys, these were not just idle words. He wasn't just making this up. This is exactly how Jesus himself prayed. On the night that he was going to be crucified, this is what he, he told his disciples this. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He had needs, right? He said, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground. There's that posture again. He bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus himself modeled this. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Praying like this, praying with this this posture of submission, submitting my will to God's, this is how we pray as children of the King. This is how we pray like Jesus. We humble ourselves. We submit ourselves to the King of justice, to the King of, of mercy, the King of grace, the King of peace. We bow before the King whose kingdom is healing our broken world. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, next week, we're going to turn a corner, and we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to ask God for things, right? We ask him for things that we need, for food, for, for forgiveness, for rescue. Because I want to be clear, we are invited to ask. We are invited to ask. God's will, God's desire involves taking care of his children. Jesus said it himself in verse 8. He said, your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. God cares deeply about us. He cares about his children, and he wants to meet our needs. He wants us to ask. So we're going to talk about asking next week, but I think it's really healthy for us at this point to just pause, to not read farther into this prayer, but to pause and consider the posture that we are taking when we start making our requests. What is our posture? So here's what I want you to do for these next few moments. We're going to have just some moments of of stillness, and then we're going to hear a song. And as we do this, I want you to take a moment and just think about your posture. Focus on the posture of your heart as you enter into the presence of God. In your heart, in your mind, here's what I want you to do. I invite you to bow. Bow down in your heart, in your mind's eye. Or frankly, look, if you want to do this something physically, do this as well. Lean forward with your, with your palms up. You can kneel if you want. Or frankly, if you want to lay out with your face on the ground, do it. It's okay. In this moment, whether it's in your mind or with your body, I invite you to take that posture of submission, that posture of, of humble gratitude. Bow down before the God of the universe, your Father. Yes, you've got a lot on your plate. You're carrying some heavy burdens. You've got some needs. He knows your needs. For right now, just focus on your posture. Focus on the posture of your heart. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Focus on your posture and then just listen. Just listen. Listen for the voice of your father. What does your father, what does your king want you to hear as you bow in gratitude for what he has already done?